1: How do you distinguish which one is which? Right. You have to do what the Facebook advertising guys do. You have to split test. You have to split test it. You listen to one voice, you see how it turns out. You listen to another voice, you see how that turns out. If that moment in time turns out better for you, then that's an indication that maybe that's what the still small voice sounds like. So then you listen to it again compared with another voice in your head. And then after maybe following it a hundred times, you'll start to feel the cadence. You'll start to feel the quality of that voice compared to some of those other voices in there. But here's another way to kind of distinguish still small voice, AKA the voice of your heart or the voice of your intuition versus the other voice, the voice of fear and pain. The pain, fear voice tells you what not to do. Don't go in that room. Don't you know? get into that business deal. And the heart voice, it only ever tells you what to do. Take the leap of faith.
0: I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guest is Light Watkins. And Light is an author, he's a thought leader, he's a speaker, and podcast host. But he is perhaps most recognized for being one of the world's leading meditation experts. And I initially heard of his work from one of my best friends, Billy DeLorbe. Billy knew that I struggled staying consistent with meditation and recommended Light's book, Blissmore. I instantly felt connected to Light. The book is undoubtedly a game changer for those looking to start or enhance their meditation practice. Throughout the years, Light has continued to challenge himself with endeavors such as embracing minimalism, as well as nomadic living. He launched a podcast called At the End of the Tunnel and penned yet another book called Knowing Where to Look, which was released a little over a month ago. Today's chat essentially covers it all. Light and I discuss what inspired his meditation journey, as well as his advice for those looking to start. We get into how to connect to and trust your intuition. Light shares the ins and outs of nomadic living and simple tips for someone who is looking to try it out. We also talk about how to adopt a simple and effective gratitude routine and the importance of embracing discomfort. Light talks about what he does to manage fear and what he's been doing lately to challenge himself. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Light Watkins to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Light Watkins, welcome to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Thanks, Doug. Good to be here, man. Yeah, I've been looking forward to talking to you now for quite a while. I know we originally had connected, I think, on Instagram and then on Clubhouse, more or less, where we, were, we had some dialogue. We did some uh, different rooms together, whether mm-hmm. it was on podcasting, we interacted there. And as I was telling you before we recorded, I know your, your latest book that came out, I guess it came out, oh, it's been about a week now called yep. knowing where to look is what we're going to, we're going to talk a lot about that today, but how I initially found you was through one of my best friends, super into meditation, breath work, and I've tried to get into all of that. And I have through the years off and on, just haven't been consistent with it. And I've tried YouTube videos. I've tried going into transcendental meditation, I've tried the apps. And one day he was like, dude, you got to check out this book called Blissmore by Light Watkins. He's like, it's just right up your alley. You don't have to worry about anything. You just kind of let things go. And I remember reading it and I was like, this is my guy. I was like, he gets me. Like, He gets that I can't focus on a thought. Like my mind goes everywhere and I want to try and control it. I can't control it. So how did you get started in into meditation? And I guess I want to preface this by like who... I know you, I guess part of your story is you were a fashion model and that like led you into meditation, if you will, but how did you, how did you find meditation and what were you like before you started meditating? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. What
1: was I like before? You know, there are a couple of reasons why people start. This is just from my own personal experience of teaching people. A lot of times, people will start because they hit some sort of rock bottom moment, or they, you know, have a dark night of the soul. Yeah, and and uh, and so they they they're looking for something to uh, bring some more light into their lives. And then other people start because they're curious. They're just curious. They're curiosity seekers, and you know, and they like the idea of expo- exploration of these various practices. So I was in more in that category and I just I make that distinction because I don't consider myself to be a very stressed out person even before I started meditating. You know, I was pretty calm, I was pretty fulfilled and happy and all of those things. I've always been very very curious though and that's one of the reasons why I that that's one of the things that drew me to the fashion industry. I I didn't find fulfillment necessarily in taking photos or, you know, walking runway shows. I liked the idea of traveling around the world and experimenting and exploring with different cultures. And so that's what really got me into it. And the thing about modeling is you end up having a lot of downtime. If you're not like a supermodel, I was never a supermodel. So I had a lot of downtime. And in that downtime, I would go to the gym. I would go to Barnes & Noble. And I would spend hours and hours in Barnes & Noble reading various books. I came across this book called Conversations with God one day and just kind of thumbing through it. And it spoke to me in the same way that you say my book spoke to you. I felt like Neil Donald Walsh was my guy, <laughs> Yeah. because he was. Uh, for those who haven't read that book, it's not a religious book. It's a book about a skeptic asking questions to God, and and then having this really interesting experience where he felt like he was transcribing the answers, and they were coming through him. They weren't coming from him; they were coming through him. And so they talk about pretty much every subject under the sun. All the questions: What happens when you die? why do such bad things happen to good people? Like all these really practical questions that I think a lot of people have had. And, uh, and that gave me language to a lot of the things that I was curious about my whole life regarding spiritual topics. And so when I started getting into yoga a few years later, just because I was in the gym one night and these really attractive women went into this exercise room holding these little rolled up mats and I had no idea what they were doing, but my hormones told me to go and follow them in the room. Huh, Next thing I knew, I was, in, I was in my first yoga class and then through that, I started enjoying yoga for yoga's sake and then I got invited to some meditation circles. And yeah, I was just curious. I was curious to see what it was all about. I had been reading about it in several books at that point: "Seed of the Soul," "Celestine Prophecy," "Conversations with God," "Siddhartha," all the kind of classic uh, spiritual books. And uh, and everyone is talking about meditation, so I wanted to see what it was about.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's cool to know because I think you hear a lot of people that get into your position where you're one of the. I mean, arguably, I would say one of the world's leading experts on the subject of meditation. And I think traditional, not traditionally, but in many cases, there's this dark night of the soul moment where like, somebody was in a super traumatic situation or a painful moment in their life and something like meditation came along and, and helped save them. And then mm-hmm. through that, it inspired them to take on this new path of self-discovery to not only go deeper within themselves, but to then help other people do that. Right. You hear Mm -hmm. about that a lot with, with different, especially in the health and fitness industry, because health and fitness is the industry of transformation, right? People are making massive Mm -hmm. transformations throughout, throughout people's experiences in this, in their careers or in this industry. So while we're on this subject of, of meditation, And there's a lot of people listening to this that probably aren't meditating, but probably want to meditate because, and it's interesting. I just had Tara styles on the show and you and you and her are very similar in your approaches where you take the dogma out of the practice, which I think people relate to, Hmm. which I think scares a lot of people away from things like yoga and meditation. So what, in your, in your experience, what is, like, how can like? What's the simplest way that somebody can start meditating? Because we all know the benefits. We all know that it reduces stress, reduces anxiety, helps you sleep better, helps you get more connected to yourself. But I think people just struggle to do it. Well, I would take your friend's advice and have have
1: people read Bliss More. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. essentially the book that I wish I had when I first started. I spent years using shoddy guesswork, you know, knocking my head against the wall trying to figure it out myself. They didn't have YouTube and stuff back then, but. If they did, I probably would have watched a ton of YouTube videos. And it's just this, there, there's this thinking, you know, it's kind of like people think meditation is a little bit like how some people think of stand-up comedy. Like, oh, you just get up on stage and start telling jokes. Like, there's, there's an art to it. To make it really, to, make, to, to really make it look easy, it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of, of craftsmanship. And there's nothing arbitrary about meditation which is what I later discovered, the way you sit, the time of day you do it, how you interact with your thoughts, how you deal with sleep, what you focus on, if you focus on anything, like all of those little little considerations can make a huge difference in your the quality of your experience. And so if you don't understand any of that, then you're going to end up coming away from one or two meditations thinking, oh, I can't do this, you know, and you disqualify yourself from something that you could have enjoyed a lifetime's worth of benefit from. And, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's something that is actually quite easy when you understand what you're doing. So I would say to, to short of getting a teacher and sitting with a teacher and all of that, which is also a great thing to do if you have those resources, Grab a copy of Blissmore. There's no other book like it, right? Most meditation books, I would say 90% of 95% of them are not written by meditation teachers. So they're written by doctors, researchers, internet marketers, celebrities, you know, people who meditate and have had nice experiences, but they have no experience teaching people how to do it or tracking people's progress who they taught. And that makes a big difference in how they write about it. And so your typical meditation book is going to be like, I don't know, 50 different guided meditations. So kind of like choose your own adventure. And they're basically prompting you what to think about, what to imagine, what to let go of, what to observe, but you don't ever quite feel self-sufficient in the practice. Whereas Blissmore is purpose built to help the person who doesn't know anything about meditation. Learn how to do it in a self-sufficient way from day one, and how to track their own progress over time, which is what you ultimately want. You know, guided meditations are nice as a gateway, but ultimately, you want you don't want to have to have somebody telling you what to do in order to meditate. You want meditation to be in the same category as sleep. You have your bed; you should be able to lie down and fall asleep. You don't need someone in the bedroom telling you, "Okay, now." pull the covers over you. Okay. Put your head on the pillow. Okay. Now start counting down the sheet. You know, you don't need that every time, maybe the first few times, but after you get the gist of it, you should be able to do it on your own.
0: You bring up some, some great points. And obviously the first one is to buy the book. Yes. I can vouch for light phenomenal read. And it's unlike any meditation book you will read because it's very, it's practical and it's relatable. And, and I think what meditation also does, which you'll learn from his book, is when you can get quiet and get comfortable with your thoughts, and you get comfortable with your fears and develop some self-awareness around all of that, it can really be used to your benefit. I know that's something that you talk about in knowing where to look is, is how to get connected, like how to really trust, get connected to your intuition, right? So, like, what are some of the, the, the most practical tips you can give somebody, or even in your own experience? Because you hear a lot like, trust your gut, trust your intuition, but might follow want, your heart, follow your heart. But a lot of people are like, yeah, okay, I think I'm doing it, but how do I really know?
1: You got to get quiet on a regular basis. So, the meditation practice is the means by which it's one of the fastest ways, most efficient ways by which you can get quiet enough to hear what they call your still small voice. And, you know, this is important, the way it's described, still small voice. Mm. And what that implies is that there are other voices in there. It's not just listen to the voice inside, it's listen to the still small voice inside because there are louder voices, there are more chaotic voices, there are more unsettled voices. And what you want is the still, small voice. But in order to hear it, you got to get still <laughs> because it's very quiet. And the reason it's quiet is because it has not been uh, listened to for most of our life. Most of, the, the, most of our life, we listen to the voice of fear and pain and trauma. You know, th- that's the voice that informs a lot of our choices. And so those voices get really loud and they drown out the voice of intuition so if we get used to listening to the still small voice and you know how do you distinguish which one is which right you have to do what the facebook advertising guys do you have to split test you have to split test it you know you you listen to one voice you see how it turns out you listen to another voice you see how that turns out if your life if that moment in time turns out better for you then that's an indication that maybe that's That's what the still small voice sounds like. So then you do that again, you listen to it again, compared with another voice in your head. And then after maybe following it a hundred times, you'll start to feel the cadence. You'll start to feel the quality of that voice compared to some of those other voices in there. But here's another way to kind of distinguish still small voice, a.k.a the voice of your heart or the voice of your intuition versus the other voice, the voice of fear and pain, the pain, fear, voice tells you what not to do. Don't go in that room. Don't, you know, get into that business deal. Don't risk everything for this, you know, whatever. And the heart voice, it only ever tells you what to do. It'll tell you what to do, right? Take the leap of faith, trust this person, move in this direction go in this store. right? But here's the thing, following that voice usually is not going to take you into a place that makes you more comfortable. It's going to challenge your idea of comfort. It's going to get you out of your comfort zone and into your growth zone. So that's why it seems scary is because we're unfamiliar with where it's wanting us to go, but that's the direction we have to go in to fully find our own path.
0: It seems from what I'm understanding in my own words that this little voice you're referring to is almost like your compass. And it's leading you towards it's leading you towards these, these moments of inspiration or these decisions of inspiration to help you grow into a better person and to take the next steps of where you're intended to go in life. But on the flip side, I, what I'm also hearing is that when you do trust this and you go with the process, it's not going to be easy because you're getting outside of your comfort zone. You're doing the hard thing. You're putting trust in in faith in something that you really can't quote unquote see right now. You can just somehow envision it. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: It's only easy in the beginning right. when you first start. I mean, it's only hard when you first right. start listening okay. to it because it, it gets easier and easier and then it becomes
0: your new norm. It's like a muscle. You,
1: yeah. and And another way to look at it, compass is a great illustration. I like to use the GPS because nobody uses compasses anymore, but everyone uses their GPS on their map application, right? You put in the destination, it tells you where to go. It doesn't judge you. If you miss the turn, it just reroutes you, right? And so the heart is kind of like that. Within our spiritual DNA, we have our path. It's encoded. It's encoded within us. And Mm -hmm. so that's the destination. And so the prompts and the nudges and the inclinations we can feel inside, those are sort of like the prompt that's coming from our internal GPS. And it's always guiding us in the direction of our path. And when we can embrace it and listen to it, we find that life tends to be more interesting and adventurous. When we ignore it, we find that life tends to be more dramatic. Right right which is uh, usually something we don't want to be experiencing but we're kind of in the throes of it and that's because we we didn't listen to the prompt we didn't listen to the gps and we ended up in some crazy area now we're trying to figure out how to work our way out of that
0: now do you have any recommendations for somebody maybe in your own experience or people that you've coached to to be able to inspire them to take this time because i feel like so many people are so busy They're on the run. They're overwhelmed. They got social media apps open. They got emails pinging. And a lot of people don't even take the time to get quiet. So do you recommend setting it as part of their calendar? Do you recommend just doing it when you're, you feel called to, is there a best practice for that? It's, it's the motivation to start is embedded
1: in the process of life. Meaning if you keep busying yourself, then you will eventually find yourself In one of those rock bottom moments we talked about earlier, in which case the best idea you have will be to start listening to your heart. And that's, you don't you don't need anybody to convince you at that point. Right. If you need convincing, then you haven't done enough research and what it's like to not follow your heart. And that's fine. You know, there's no time limit. And we all go get that same. We're all going in the same direction. It's just some of us are taking a more dramatic pathway there yeah. than others of us. My teacher used to talk about this this metaphor of the waterfall. And when you're on the little rowboat and you're traveling down the stream, you know, the experienced explorer will will be able to read the signs that there is a waterfall approaching. And as a result, they can navigate the boat over to the shoreline and get out and just kind of take a nice gentle casual hike down and enjoy the spectac- the spectacle that is the waterfall. Whereas the person who's busying themselves with, you know, trying to get there as quickly as possible may not understand that there's a waterfall approaching and they stay on the boat and they end up going over the waterfall. <laughs> and uh, they still get, both people get to the bottom of that thing, but it's way more dramatic to go over it than it is to just enjoy this the view by casually making your way down. And so a lot of times, you know, doing your inner work seems like a hassle compared to wanting to be successful as quickly as possible. And I don't have time. And, you know, so you stay on the boat and you ignore all the signs and you end up having, you we're, we both end up getting there. You just end up getting a little bruised up along the way and scared. And, you know, this very dramatic and traumatizing
0: experience. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so, yeah, that's the invitation at
0: all times. And and it seems like for you, your ability to get quiet and master listening to this small voice in your head has led to things like becoming a nomad, which I want to talk to you about because I think it it kind of ties into all this. I think overwhelm, busy, got stuff all over the place that we might not even need. Just maybe cars are dirty our rooms are a mess and then you've really learned to to narrow down your life quite small and i think you know when people hear of the term nomad at least for me and again i'm not trying to shame or judge anyone i always thought of it as somebody who just carries like a suitcase and they just travel around and and that's that's it which i'm not i don't know if that exists or not but from your experience like what what is it what's it like being a, a nomad and what prompted you to do it We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products, such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper. For the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthecofoodscom forward slash Doug Again, earth echofoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of cacao bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show.
1: So the nomadic thing is really, it's a symptom of my intentional practice of minimalism. I decided in 2018 that I was gonna intentionally practice minimalism. And that started with getting rid of all of my stuff in my apartment in Santa Monica. And uh, and then getting rid of the apartment. and getting rid of my car and everything that didn't fit into a carry-on bag. And I I was already traveling a lot for work. I was yeah. traveling in between Los Angeles, New York, and London and a few other places. And I was hosting these international retreats. So my lifestyle was already kind of geared around it was already kind of geared around being mobile. So yeah. that made it a little bit easier and a little more justifiable. And, uh, and I just found that when I was on the road, a lot of the times I would not be as present as I wanted to be. And that was because I was thinking about, oh, I need to get someone to move my car or I need to get someone to water my plants or so-and-so needs to get in the house to fix this and that. And, you know, you don't realize how much of your headspace is consumed by just maintaining the storage room with your bed in it, which is what our apartments essentially are. They're storage rooms where we accumulate all, all of our stuff. We right. pack it all into closets. We rarely look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we spend a significant amount of time maintaining and managing all of our stuff. And I thought, what a cool experiment to see what life is like if you don't have any stuff. You know, is Would you be more present? Would you transfer your attention away from the sentimental things in your closet to the sentimental things that are around you in the moment and how would that look? So I didn't know what was going to happen. Again, I was curious. I was letting curiosity lead the, the decision to, to go with, go forward. I never intended it for, I never intended for it to be a, you know, forever thing. It was always just, let me try it for now. If I don't like it, I'll go back and get an apartment. But it's been three years now just passed a three year anniversary a week ago. Wow. And I have I have not missed my stuff for one second. It's been fantastic. And I've even scaled down because I realized I had too much stuff in the carry on back. So I scaled down to just a backpack now.
0: And I love it. It's, it's inspiring because I think there's so many people that, I mean, myself included, we can be hoarders at times, where we have clothes that we haven't worn in like five years. I mean, I probably have, I don't know how many pairs of athletic shoes just from being a trainer and running and stuff or Mm -hmm. go on and on. And I'm sure people listening to this are thinking to themselves some things that they have that, you know, I've been telling myself, I'm going to clean out that room and I'm going to declutter, but I haven't. And, and for, I guess the average person, it would be a challenge if they have a family to become nomadic, but I do believe that we all can benefit from practicing some sense of minimalism. So do you have any tips for the audience or maybe some things that maybe you talk to your friends about of some ways that the average person can maybe add some of the, the practices of uh, the, the practices of minimalism into their daily life, like things they can get rid of that they might not think they have too much of?
1: It's interesting because that's what my next book is going to be about. <laughs> is <laughs> is this, the spiritual principles of minimalism. And it's not about giving up your apartment and stuff. It's just like you said, like taking some of the principles, cherry picking what you want to ex- experiment with and seeing how it affects you or how it improves your life, if at all, right. Cause right. everything needs to be split tests and experimented with. So yeah, man, I would just say, you know, like you said, if there's something in your closet that you haven't worn in five years, then challenge the assumption that you still need to have that in your closet and just start there, start in your closet and just go through and take a little inventory of those things and, and see if you can go without them or see how much you can go without them. And, or one, one principle that, the you know, the two guys that call themselves the minimalists, yep, they have a book called minimalism. So one thing that they say that I really enjoy And I had to adopt just from practical reasons because I just don't have space. But if you acquire something new, get rid of something old. Mm. And that kind of keeps the accumulation at bay. So I think that's a good practical way to start practicing minimalism.
0: And I think from a spiritual level, and again, I don't want to talk too much about this because I don't want to spoil your next book. I believe it automatically helps us practice this sense of gratitude where we're being grateful for what we have in our life instead of what we don't have, because there's a lot of people that would be extremely happy with some of the stuff that we have that we aren't happy with because we don't have enough of it or whatever. So I think it would really help people be able, be able to make this shift to know that, you know, maybe their life isn't as bad as they might think it is. Like mm. Maybe they do have more than they think they do, because especially now when we've seen And I hate to keep bringing up the pandemic, but during the (laughs) pandemic, like I I was, it was funny, like for the first few months, I was like, I'll talk about it on the show and then hopefully it'll go away. And and here we are, we're still, I mean, obviously in the thick of it, um, a little bit. And, and so I think I still want to bring this up because there's a lot of people that are, have focused on what they've lost during COVID and not that there hasn't been a lot that's been lost. I mean, sure there has and it's very unfortunate, but what are some things that you've taken for granted? Maybe it was Mm -hmm. that your health you took for granted. Maybe it was your your ability to see family or to um, go certain places. And if you can just lean in on that and be grateful for the things that you either do have in your life or look back and say, I can't wait to be able to experience these things again. And that makes me more grateful because I don't have those things that I once had. Then you can start to change your mind, your, your mindset into a state of gratitude and that'll become like a new normal like you said like paying attention to that small voice in your head initially became a challenge but after you did it more and more it became easier does this make mm-hmm. sense yeah man i think
1: I, I you hit the nail right on the head there i mean gratitude is such a key practice in all areas from meditation to minimalism to increasing your baseline level of happiness you can't really go wrong. You can never go wrong with gratitude. And I tell people who who don't have a daily meditation practice, I say the next best thing is to have a daily gratitude practice. Because what's great about meditation is I consider it to be a key habit, meaning if you meditate every day, it's easier to feel grateful. But I would say gratitude is just underneath meditation when it comes to key habits. If you're grateful every day, it makes it easier to Be happy to eat better, to take care, take better care of your body, to be more compassionate with other people, all those things.
0: And so what's your, what's your personal gratitude practice like, or what you you tell people just to write down one thing. Do you have them like write a paragraph about what it is they're grateful for? Or do you, like, how does that, how does that work within your teachings?
1: You know, I like to take the easiest, most resistant free path for other people when you're starting out on these practices, because we're already conditioned to look for reasons why it's not working Mm. and excuses, why we don't have time. So I just say, start really, really easy, you know, really simple. And just maybe think about three things that you're grateful for nothing profound, just, you know, I'm grateful to be able to see, I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. I'm grateful to have water, clean water to drink, you know, those three things. And then, Whenever you feel like you're kind of in a in a bit of a funk, just take a moment, maybe take a few breaths, clearing breaths, and then just place your attention on what you're grateful for in that moment. And then once you have that going, then maybe you graduate to writing things down. And then maybe you do a whole paragraph or you know, a stream of consciousness gratitude thing. And so... Maybe you start a gratitude jar at some point. But I think just thinking about it, thinking about it on occasion when you feel ungrateful is a great place to start.
0: Small steps to to big result, right? I think about it in the same way I do in like the fitness space. You start with one push-up, then you two push-ups, three push-ups, and then you want to do a set of 10, then you do 15, and you might do one on a medicine ball. So it's just like stacking those small wins. Because you're right, I think a lot of people, they see these different practices that people talk about on social media or in books. And they might have, have not done any of this in, in years or, or never done it. And they immediately go and try to adapt a practice of someone who's been doing it for 20 years. And they fall flat on their face because they're just not used to it. And they got to just start with where they're at. And and one of the things that um, it's, it's, it's funny to see things call, come back full circle, especially when talking to you in that you're, you're known for being this guy to trust the process, just to be in, in flow, um, obviously super into meditation and just trusting your, your intuition that this kind of served you with your latest book, like knowing where to look, where you, if I understand correctly, you send out these, these daily inspirational emails, then all of a sudden you're meeting with your literary agent. And He's like, you got to put these into a book and you're like okay and then that's you started that process and you ended up landing a publisher. So talk about the process. What was the difference between putting a book together where you already had a lot of the content created versus having to write a book from scratch where you didn't have any content? Sure,
1: yeah, that was so knowing where to look was my third book, second published uh, second book with the publisher. Right. And Blissmore which we talked about earlier right. was my second book and that one I had to write from scratch. But the process was essentially the same in, in that you have to create a book proposal first, and then that's how you find a publisher, right? And once you find the publisher, that publisher will offer you an advance, which means I'll give you, advance you the money that will pay for your time to write the book. So if anybody's paying for your time to write, then it makes it much easier to make the time to write because <laughs> they also give you a hard deadline on top of that, which means you don't have all. In my first book, which is self-published, took me three and a half years to finish writing it. And that's, that's unheard of to be in a publishing deal and have three and a half years to write. You usually have six months, maybe a year if you need it. And so I had incentive to write. And if you have an incentive to write and, and you're writing from your personal experience, which I was with Knowing Where to Look, it's, all, it's mostly personal stories. Right. So, you know, it, it's kind of like on one hand, it was easier. But on the other hand, it still took time to curate and to go back and edit and refine and put it all together. And plus, Knowing Where to Look is an illustrated book, which I'd never done before. And that took 10,000 hours of going back and forth with the art director and illustrator to convey my concepts and to get them to understand them and replicate them visually. And then going back in and editing those. And that's something that added an extra layer of uh, complexity to knowing where to look. And then also most of knowing where to look, the, the, it's 108 daily doses of inspiration, which are short one page stories, and contrary to popular opinion, it's harder to write a short story than it is to just blab on about whatever is on your mind. So it's much easier to write a 60,000-word book than it is to write a 30,000-word book, which is what knowing where to look is, compared to Bliss More. So they both kind of have their challenges. And I was fortunate to have a really supportive editorial team. What the Publisher sh- sounds true. And so they made the process as easy as possible for me and, and allowed me to have full creative control over the process. And that was just, you know, I was in heaven.
0: Yeah. I was curious because, you know, I've written a few books myself and there was very similarly, I, I had written a bunch of like text messages or emails to somebody I was trying to help inspire along their journey. And the same person was like, you got to put this into a book. And I had just written my first book and I was like, I'm not writing another book. And looking back and what you just said, you're right. It was a bit more challenging because it wasn't like I just put this, these emails or these texts into just a book and just called it quits. I was like, all right, there has to be more than this. There has to be like some action steps somebody can take after each story or some feedback or I got to figure out, like, where does this all fit into the context of a book? Like I can't just say, oh, here's my inspirational emails. Go ahead and read it. And I, st- I self-published. I didn't go to a publisher. So that all kind of makes sense to me, just the way you explain that. But mm-hmm. I just was trying to get your, your feedback on somebody. You've written, you know, three books. I think one first one was Inner Gym. Then you wrote Blissmore. And then this is Knowing Where to Look, if I'm, I'm right, of uh, the difference between, like, you know, writing a book. And just knowing that you we were in the process of doing that versus having a lot of the content already created and then having and then going back and saying, okay, I'm gonna try to figure out how to put this into to a piece of art. So with that being said, the book's been out now for a week and a lot of people have read it. You've talked to a lot of people about it. Has there out of out of all these, these inspirational stories or essays, notes that you've shared, has there been like one or two that people have come back to you and said, man, like this really hit home. This was really inspirational. This moved me. Have you gotten any of that? You know, man. Okay. So these are,
1: as you mentioned, I've I've been sending these out for five years. So that means I've written thousands of them and this is just 108. So these are literally the greatest hits. Mm -hmm. And so I've gotten people across the spectrum, you know, citing multiple ones saying that, oh, wow, this one really spoke to me. And that's the idea is that, It can speak to a lot of people going through a lot of things in a lot of different areas of life, relationships, commitments, finding happiness, being fulfilled, depression, suicide, wanting to kill yourself, like everything from that to wanting to be in love, you know. And so, yeah, no, I I don't, I don't, there hasn't been like one specific or two specific ones, but I've gotten a cross section of ones. And I think that's what I'm most pleased about. Is that it's speaking to so many people? So many of the doses are speaking to so many people on so many levels, and that's that's awesome. A lot of people really like the opening story, which is about me going nomadic and taking a big leap of faith, traveling to Paris with no plans and having everything work out within a couple of hours, <laughs> having a place to stay, having a group of friends, having a job, and all of that. And uh, in fact, my editor, the woman who I work the closest with on the book, she. While she was editing the manuscript in that part specifically, she ended up going nomadic herself and inspired her. And I thought, okay, that's a good sign <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that this stuff is really powerful.
0: Yeah, I, I think it really hits home, especially in your position when you're in the, the business, if you will, of trying to change lives from within, like from your med- meditation practice and from your writing and through your content. To where you're having somebody read these books or read these stories within the book or even your journey, uh, your nomadic journey, and then that's having them transform from the inside out all like without having to listen to you kind of coach them on, on meditation or directly with the story. It's more just indirectly like, we, like you were saying with your editor, which I think is really cool. Mm. So I guess what I what I want to dive into next is is one of the reasons that people I think meditate or journal or write is to get more creative. But I feel like people don't know where to go when they've lost their creative spirit. And I don't mean just in a sense of somebody who's a writer or somebody who's an artist or somebody who's a singer. I mean just people have lost themselves completely. They've lost their sense of purpose, they've lost their sense of self. They don't know who they are anymore. So like, what advice do you have for someone who's just stuck in their life and they've just lost their mojo? They've lost their juice. How do they get their swagger back? I think being grateful and,
1: and being of service and, and meditating. Those are the, that's a trifecta. Being grateful, being of service and meditating. If you do those things, you even just do one of those things, but if you can do all two or three of those things, you'll, you'll generate the, whatever you're looking for. You know, Maya Angelou has a quote. She says, you can never lose creativity because being creative generates creativity. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're in a funk because you, are, you don't feel creative or you don't feel like enough people are supporting you, support people. You know, you go out there and support people, then you'll start to find that more people will support you. And if you want to be in love, be loving towards people right? Hook people up, become a matchmaker, and you'll yeah. find that, you know, you'll that reciprocity will come back and bless you. So, I would say those are the keys. And again, it's not like the obvious thing because it requires us putting ourselves out there, but that's kind of the through line between all of these, you know, this idea of following your heart as you have. You can't get away, get around putting yourself out there and taking leaps of faith if you're not willing to do that, you're going to keep yourself stuck a lot longer. Mm.
0: It's so true. Cause I think we're all looking for like a shortcut to success. Cause we're in this instant gratification mode as humans, because of everything that's around us, that we're always looking for that, that quick answer. And, and I think you're right. Like when we are stuck and we're just feeling lost, I think one of the greatest things we can do is, is be of service to somebody else. Because chances are, you're never going to regret helping someone else, right? No. And it also just shows you that you're not just, you're taking the attention solely off of you and what's going on in your life and what's going wrong in your life. And you're helping to place it onto somebody else and channeling some of that negative energy into something positive, right? Because the energy is there and it's got it's going to go somewhere, whether it stays inside of you or you kind of move it outside, on the uh, externally through, through action, through being of service, through moving your body, through just whatever it is. And I know a lot of, a lot of your teachings, a lot of the lessons even in the book are really helping people to focus on, on going internal and not focusing on the external, like shifting the narrative, changing their perspective. And I think what happens though, especially, you know, this podcast, we focus a lot on adversity is when adversity hits or when tough times hit, we're just wired it seems like to go into survival mode and focus on the external, like what's going on around me. Like, Oh my gosh, like I'm struggling financially or, you know, I'm losing followers on social media or, you know, my relationships over here aren't, aren't going well, or this is, this is blowing up here. So how, how like in your experience, and you just seem like very even keel, very calm, like a low stress guy, but even for yourself, when you're experiencing distress and you're just in a, in a state where you're just struggling and you're focusing on the external and what's going on around you, what are some steps you take for yourself to really get quiet and, and go within and then use that experience to move you forward in your life. So you don't stay in that same spot. I think nature is very helpful
1: in this regard, you know? And so just putting myself in your listener's shoes, if I, knowing what I know, and having had my experiences with all the inner work and stuff, if I'm in that funky place, and it's hard to get myself out, going out into nature, going to the beach, if there's a beach near you, going to a bar, some large body of water, if that's near you, going to a park, walking along a tree-lined path, right? If none of that is available, take a shower, take a bath, sit in water. It's really hard to be in a funk when you're in nature in that way. And, and it's kind of a, it's a natural way of sort of soothing our soul and reminding us of our inherent connection with all things when we're out in nature. Even just having plants in your house, going to get flowers, having flowers around your house can be a, a mood booster and, um, and that way you don't have to, you know, you don't have to know how to meditate, you don't have to necessarily practice gratitude, You just got to put yourself around natural things and allow that to kind of work on you and positively uplift your spirits as a, as a means of just getting more present. And then through that, some of those solutions, some of the opportunities, some of the answers that you're looking for may come through you a lot easier than if you're just kind of in your house, in your storage room you know in the dark, you know stewing in your problems.
0: Oh you're right. I think when you're in nature, you can really, I believe whether you hear God's voice, you can embrace spirituality, you can really get connected to you can connect the outside world to the inner world and really get quiet in your mind because especially if you go there and there's no cell phone service, you just go in the woods, you go on a trail and you can just be at peace. You hear the birds chirping, you hear maybe like where I live, you might hear a deer like roaming around. There's grass, there's different trees and you're just like like wow, I can't believe that I'm walking through this right now and you just look and it, it's just your your faith is enlightened when you're in when you when you're in places like that. At least in my experience. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. And so and so staying on this topic of faith and of really grappling with with hard situations, I know that what, what really hurts people and forces them to make bad decisions in their life or holds them back from making the right decision is fear. And I think a lot of people they equate fear to something bad that they shouldn't be scared when in reality. Like if you're scared, as long as you're not doing anything life-threatening, it means that you're doing something that's challenging you, you know, nine times out of 10. Like it's scary to go ask a girl out for the first time. It's challenging to run that first mile. It's fearful to meditate. So what are some things that, that you do when you're constantly chasing after your dreams? You're constantly pushing yourself. You're writing books. You're creating courses. You've got a podcast. What are some things that you do to harness your fears and use them to your advantage?
1: I think exercise, I think exercise is a good way to go with that because what exercise is doing, it's simulating the process of, of facing your fear, right? Like you look at bench press and you see those two plates on either yeah. side and you think to yourself, there's no way I can do it, but I'm going to certainly try. And, you know, the way I think our approach, our attitude in the gym is that failure is actually a good thing. Yeah. Yeah you know, if you, if you arrive at a point of failure, you get to the point where you cannot do it. No one, no one makes, makes you feel bad for trying. In fact, you feel they make you feel great for at least trying, but you're not off the hook either. If you can't lift the two plates on either side, you have to take one of those plates off and put on a lighter plate. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you find a healthy challenge. And within that healthy challenge is where you build your strength. So. Every, every exercise, you know, you you hopefully get to a point of failure, which, again, is celebrated in that environment. And then psychologically, that trains you to see failure as a good thing and not a bad thing because you put yourself out there. And then ultimately, you can transfer that to whatever else is happening out in life. And, you know, I've been working out for 20-something years now and uh, i've never really thought about it till you asked me the question but i think that's one of the key components to having that attitude outside of the gym is is you you, you know that there's a process you know that results are incremental and you know that there's no graduation point from the challenge you, you, you just if you can master one push up as you said then maybe 10 push-ups is going to be challenging for you. Once you master that, maybe 20 push-ups, once you master that, you put extra weight on your back and you do a push-up. And you know, you want to keep challenging yourself. You want to keep finding ways to challenge yourself because that's the way you grow.
0: Fitness is the ultimate catalyst and there's, there's so much transfer that comes out. There's so much that transfers out of the gym into other areas of our lives because we Mm -hmm. work that resilience muscle. We work that failure muscle. We work that confidence muscle. We work that, that faith muscle and believing, like they say, the, the mind will quit before the body. Well, we believe we're going to press that weight up. And the way I like to think of it is in order for a muscle to grow, like just use your biceps, like in order for the body bi- to get a bigger bicep, you literally have to train your biceps to failure for them to get bigger. And then you got to rest and replenish, go back and work them out again. And then if you want to run a faster mile, you have to run until you, I mean, not really collapse, but until you fail, like until you, you run want to it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you rest, you replenish and you go back at it and that's that's life man like that's just what happens you you mm-hmm. go and, and say like we will use the the analogy of asking a girl out let's just say that you're in a grocery store and you see a girl you're attracted to and you like her energy and you go up and you're scared because this is something you might you might not be used to doing and then you ask her out and maybe she says no and then what happens I, what's happened to me is like oh like that wasn't as scary as I thought, like the, almost the outcome of it is, is more scary than the fear of the whatever it is in itself. Like you're mm-hmm. more scared of what's going to happen on the outside just because you build up this, this scenario or situation in your head that's just way bigger than what it really is. And you're like, oh my gosh, if I ask this person out and they say, no, no one's going to go out with me when it's just <laughs> that one person. But what it does for the positive is you're like, wow, like that wasn't so bad. Like I'm going to try that again now. And you have faith in yourself to be able to take that chance. That's life. That's anything. And and I'm glad you brought up the fitness analogy because that's something that that I like to use just as a trainer a lot because it's true. Like I think you have to challenge yourself in life and the gym is a great place to start. Yeah, and it makes you feel better too. Like no one leaves
1: a tough workout even if you failed multiple times thinking, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Like it's the opposite. You're like, Oh, I'm so glad I pushed myself in that way. And that's how it feels in life when you push yourself, you know, even though you may not get the number or you may not, you know, get the big win, you just feel great about the effort. Yeah,
0: no, you're right. And I think there's, there's no better feeling than when you get done a workout that was once challenging before that you're able to do today and you're like, wow, I can't believe how far I've come. I can't believe I was able to do that set of three pushups or run that mile or, or keep up with this group or do that pose or whatever it is that then you get out and you feel like a million dollars, like you feel so great. And then what are you going to do? You're going to say, what's next? Oh, I was able to tackle that, that goal. I'm going to set another goal and I'm going to try to achieve that. Well, what's next? I'm going to try to maybe write that book I've been wanting to do. And then you just, you start stacking these what's next. And then you look back five years later, and you're like, "How did I get here?" And it all started with that just one challenge that you gave yourself, that one fear you tackled, that you overcame, that led in to so many other areas of your life. So like, as we kind of comes, like, wrap up our conversation, like like what's one thing that, that you've had to do, that you've had to get quiet about, and that you've discovered within yourself over the last few months? that you've had to do some work on that has either led you to where you are now, or something that you're continuing to work on to, to improve who you are as a person. That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) we got to finish off with a bang. So I (laughs) (laughs) figured,
1: you know, I'm kind of always challenging myself in various ways. A couple of my most recent experiments were I cycled off of like sugar and caffeine and, I've been practicing intermittent fasting, and I've been practicing exercising on my own in my apartment instead of going to the gym. Recently, I've been doing 10,000 steps a day. Like All these little things are challenging, and they put me in in, in uncomfortable places. And so the idea is it's not really about the single thing. It's about being comfortable with discomfort and if you can if you can cultivate that then then you can be almost anywhere and you can adapt to whatever changes are occurring around you so so i would say that's that's where i am with it right now
0: and and i imagine for people like yourself who are just continuing to work on yourself and get better and embrace this journey and are so used to going within and getting deep and when problems arise just knowing where to go that even some of the simplest things to other people, like when they're like, Hey, what's your challenge? And it's just maybe something you're working on right now that you've changed or you've had to pivot and gotten uncomfortable doing, because I think working out in an apartment versus working out in a gym can be a bit of a challenge. Some people listening to this might be like, how is that a challenge? Well, for me, I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I going to be able to get the same and workout or my muscles going to shrink because I'm not lifting weights like, Am I going to get sick of just in the in, in, working out in this small space? Am I going to be as motivated because there's not people around me? I'm going to go on and on with these questions that like go through our minds that to that person is a challenge. Mm-hmm. But, but I think like anything else and what we've talked about a fair amount of, throughout this conversation, it's just doing things to challenge yourself and stepping mm-hmm. into the unknown and being different and not being afraid to pivot when you're feeling called to. Mm-hmm. And, just, and just, and again, just following your heart. And I think that at the end of the day is a good way for us to close our, our conversation. So light, like you I just feel more relaxed when I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> like I just, do, I just do. I just, there's something soothing about your energy, about your voice and your demeanor that, you know, this has been a great conversation. I've been looking forward to this for a while. And I encourage people listening to this to go check out light check out his content on social media and uh, and also check out his books. I mean, I I haven't read Inner Gym, but I have read Blissmore and gotten a good idea on on knowing where to look and a good grasp on that. So I I encourage people to not only buy his latest book, but to check out all three. So where can people find out more about you if they want to not only get the book, but connect with you on social media and then potentially uh, maybe work with you if they want to online, like where can they do that?
1: They can go to lightwatkins.com and they can find everything there or on social media at lightwatkins, L-I-G-H-T-W-A-T-K-I-N-S.
0: Nice. Well, I will make sure to include all of that in the show notes. I'll put the links to your books. I will make sure to put all your social media handles there as well. And so for those listening, as I always invite people to do, um, the best I can is to, to take a screenshot, tag myself, tag light with a takeaway. Maybe it was something he said about meditation. Maybe it was something he shared about his book. Maybe it was something he shared about minimalism, whatever it was, tag us both, share it. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you really got out of this episode because at the end of the day, we want the show to help you, to impact you in a positive way. So please do that, tag light, tag myself. And once again, we thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.